You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon, and it's another beautiful day here in the Pacific Northwest, and this is Jay Bozovich, and welcome to the Bo's Nose Show, coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And today is another free-for-all day, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, you control the conversation. I don't have a guest coming on, and I don't have a specific topic I was planning to talk about. So I want you to call in at 646-721-9887 and uh, just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation and we'll get you on the show and then we'll talk about what you want to talk about instead of what I decide to talk about. And seeing I've been running around kind of busy on all sorts of commissioner business and um, in my spare time, I've got a big yard project going on and my wife's getting ready to fly to london england tomorrow morning um i'm i'm a little bit unprepared for today's show so this could be stream of consciousness wednesday if no one calls in uh so unless you want to hear the, go, the the inner workings of jay bozovich's brain um give us a call again 646-721-9887 and don't forget to press one that lets us know you want to get in because some people call in just to listen to the show on their phone versus uh, on the computer. And also, you can email us uh, anytime, even between shows, to ask a question at talk at krbnradio.net. Uh, or you can get a hold of us on Facebook also. Uh, that's you know a really easy way to get a hold of us. Um, so if you just put in krbn, uh, internet radio in your Facebook search, you'll find our Facebook page and then you can send us a message or you can just look for my Facebook pages. If you put Jay Bozovich in there, you'll see my personal one and my West Lane County Commissioner one. And, uh, you know, if you want to see poodle pictures, you go to my personal one. If you want to talk about county issues, you go to my county um, commissioner page. But uh, give us a call. We can have a conversation. If not, we get to talk about things that are on my mind. And, you know, it, it, the legislature's in session. So uh, one of the things I said I might talk about is those Salem shenanigans, as I like to, to, to call it, and what they've been up to up there. And, and you know, one of the things uh, I have to laugh about a little bit is they, they had a deadline last week where they had to get bills out of committee from the house there of origin where the bill started so if it was a senate bill it had to get through a senate committee if it was a house bill it had to get out of the house committee and be moving to the floor of that that body or it had to be referred to one of two committees that that kind of go you know where bills go to sit and wait to come out surprise people later rules and, and ways and means uh which are continuous committees so the, uh, the 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 funny thing about that is is you know there, there's a chair of one of the committees, judiciary on the Senate side, that has been in the legislature for quite a while, and he's also kind of known for um, sponsoring some not so friendly to Second Amendment um, bills about gun ownership, and he had several bills that he was. Uh, sponsoring that were prepared to come out and for some reason he didn't get them out of his committee on time and they all died <laughs> all but one bill um, but one of the things that happens in the legislature is they do something called gut and stuff so this is what I, what I, what I really call Salem shenanigan they will 
bills have the first thing they say on to on them is you know after it says you know senate bill 941 it says relating to and there'll be a little phrase down below and it might be something like say if it was a bill that was written for uh, a new odf and w rule it might say relating to um wildlife and and increasing fees or something like that yeah it'll be you know you know, uh, uh, hunting licenses and increasing fees, you know, whatever. What they'll do is they'll find a relating to clause that's remotely close on a bill that's still alive, that's remotely close to whatever they, they want to gut and stuff. And they will basically put an amendment on the bill that completely deletes the previous bill and substitutes some other bill in its place. The dangerous thing about that is, how do you track that? You know, the, how, you know, it's so difficult to try and figure out what relating to clauses are close enough to uh, gun control legislation to to say that you know they match up. And they've got some really vague relating to clauses on bills, so you know it makes it really difficult for Second Amendment advocates to keep an eye out for when uh, Senator Prozanski, who is chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, who missed those deadlines, decides to gut and stuff a bill, the, the time we might hear about it is when it's already uh, on in a committee having a hearing, you know, or on the Senate floor or something like that. So it's really, um, it's really one of those things that's not very transparent and is a is a really kind of a dirty trick that the legislatures like to play. But watch for that gut and stuff on gun control coming to you sometime in the future, because there are a couple bills that were were pretty uh, expansive of how they dealt with um, gun control, and and, and particularly uh, there's one bill that would basically let almost anybody file a complaint saying that you might be a danger to yourself or others and have the the law enforcement be able to come to your home, search it for, for firearms, and confiscate them without due process of any kind. So it's uh, there's some scary stuff out there uh, when it comes to Second Amendment, and you know, I've mentioned this before, Oregon's Constitution has a stronger protection of your right to bear arms than the U.S. Constitution has in it. Uh, and it's it's pretty clear and um, it's it's really disturbing that that folks are willing to, to play that game of gut and stuff with something as important as something that deals with such a basic thing as your right to choose how you want to defend yourself and your family uh, when it comes to a time where you're, you or your family is being threatened with physical harm that could possibly result in death. Because that's basically what they're talking about is your right to choose how you're going to protect yourself. And, you know, whether that's um, a woman that is, uh, has just left a an abusive relationship and is afraid for her life because of her former partner might come back for her, or if that's just the fact that um, you have a job that that brings a lot of uh, public anger on yourself um, like county commissioner uh, or it could be that you're just a republican in portland that wants to march in a rose parade you know it, to get completely off the subject to Salem shenanigans, now I'm going to get into Portland shenanigans. I don't know if, you know, you'd have to almost be um, not watching TV, listening to radio, or pick up a newspaper the last 24 hours. But yesterday, there was a decision made in Portland to cancel a parade that's part of the Rose Festival. It's not the Rose Parade. It's a small offshoot up in northeast Portland. And um, they canceled it because a group, a bunch of groups threatened that if the, you know, traditionally and for like 19 years, I think, since the parade's been in, 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 uh, 
existence, there's been a group of Multnomah County Republicans that have marched in the parade and had an entry in the parade. And they basically, this uh, anti-FA or and anarchist groups um, threaten that if the Republicans marched in that parade, they were going to get a group of 200 people to be there at the parade, and they were going to stop the parade when the Republicans came by, go in and physically remove the Republicans from the parade by force. And there were several threats about bodily harm and stuff like that. And these threats were made, you know, by emails and over the internet and everything. And instead of going after the people that are making physical threats that have time, place, and manner involved, you know, there's there's one thing about saying, you know, I ought to kill you, you know, over something on the internet versus I'm going to beat you up. The place I'm going to do it's this parade, and that's you know, and this is how I'm going to do it. That is, you know, that is definitely a a an actionable crime. Instead of going after the criminals that made these threats, these very specific threats to this group. And of course, if this had been, you know, some alt-right group making a threat against a, a LGBT parade, uh, and and uh, a group, you know, in an LGBT parade or something like that, they'd be all over that. But instead, what they did was they 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 told the group they couldn't protect the port, city of Portland. Told the group running the parade they couldn't offer any additional security, so the group chose to cancel the parade. So, you know, I, I just, it's amazing to me, we've gotten to the point where a group of people can make threats of bodily harm against another group of people, purely because that group belongs to a certain political party, um, and, and basically shut down an event that that political party planned to participate in. You know, this gets, you know, this is as bad as, you know, the, the, what happened in Berkeley with, with the riots down there when there was a right-wing speaker down there. It's like, why is this acceptable? It wouldn't be acceptable if it was the other way around, you know, for, for most people. Uh, you know, why is it acceptable that we're willing to allow a, a, a group of thugs, you know, basically threaten another, you know, a group that was going to peacefully participate in a parade, um, purely because of their political um, beliefs, you know, which is that they're they're members of the Republican Party. Uh, it just I I don't get it. Um, I don't get why the city of Portland didn't make a stronger statement against the group making the threat and start investigating that group and actually maybe arrest somebody and prosecute them. Um, just to, it's beyond me. You know, just because you don't like the group that was threatened, they still deserve the same protections as a group that you like. Uh, that's that's part of being government. You're you're not supposed to pick sides. You enforce the law. I think there's something you know in one of those amendments that says equal application of the law. You know, it, it, you know it's the rule of law, not the rule of man. And just really amazes me that it seems to be going by with almost no notice on the national level that that parade's being canceled. That should be a national headline. That should be national news. You know, that, you know, a, a group of people could make threats through Facebook and other places and cause a, an event to be canceled purely because they didn't like the political a political party marching in a parade peacefully you know and it's not even um you know any you know it's not like you know we're, we're talking about some white supremacist group that was planning to march with you know swastikas and carry burning crosses or something like that um and even then if they were if they had a permit to do it they didn't destroy any property, they have some rights to free speech there. You know, the, the whole thing about the First Amendment, it, it wasn't put there to protect speech we like. 
It was put there to protect speech we don't like. And and that's what's important. And, and you know, as long as it's speech, I'll, I'll I'll protect your right to say it, even if I don't like what you're saying. But you can't make specific threats that have time, place, and manner involved. At that point, it's no longer speech; it's actually a crime. And that's what these folks did: was they committed a crime in making those threats. And it just amazes me the city of Portland's reaction to this is not more aggressive about the people that made the threats instead of basically telling the parade operators that, oh, sorry, but we can't spare any more police or any more security. You're going to have to take it upon yourselves. And, and rather than, you know, then you're putting that parade operation, if they tell the Republicans they can't show up, they're going to get sued for violating their First Amendment rights. Because, you know, it's a publicly run parade. So the, their choice is either shut the parade down or deal with the, the issue of having this, this, you know, a riot basically erupt at parade. Really don't understand it. But, you know, that's, that's, that's Oregon for you. You know, for those of you that might be listening from outside of Oregon, bet all this sounds pretty funny. Things like gut and stuff bills uh, in our state legislature. I don't know if that's allowed in other state legislators. You don't exactly see that even on Capitol Hill. If they don't do stuff like that in Washington, D.C. Um, they do pass bills in the middle of the night that no one's read, but I don't think they exactly remove the entire bill and replace it and, and pass it um, quite that often as Salem does. So what else has been in the news lately? Well, there's a little thing coming up here in Lane County. We got an election coming up on May 16th. And we're starting to get, you know, some things in our mailboxes. I got, you know, my my um, thing from Lane County about the upcoming public safety uh, levy that supports our jail and our youth services um, detention operations. And also got something in the in the mail from my local library district where they're wanting an extra 10 cents per thousand of, of assessed value on their their operating levy. Um, to quote, maintain their current level of service. And uh, so it's kind of interesting. The jail levy is just an extension of the existing rate um, with no increase. Uh, and that's you know been shown to really uh, have a great impact. It's you know over a 60% reduction in capacity-based early releases and releases prior to trial. Um, of, of folks that are awaiting sentencing. And it's also um, done a lot to change um, how we're able to get involved in people that are having problems in their lives. They end up in jail usually because they have some behavioral issue. Quite often it's driven by uh, mental health problems and addiction problems. And until we can get people sanctioned and into the jail long enough, it's difficult to connect them with treatment services that deal with the actual problem that, that's caused the behavior that got them in jail in the first place. When we're early releasing them by capacity-based release, none of that happens. So they just keep coming back and it's actually not very cost-effective. Keep, you know, catch and release, catch and release, catch and release, catch and release versus catch and hold, get into treatment, and maybe you never have to catch again. And of course, treatment isn't always effective, so sometimes those guys end up being caught another time, but it might be longer between catches and releases. Um, and, you know, and it also keeps people from being caught and released enough times that eventually they build up such a record, they end up getting caught sent on to state prison versus caught and staying in the county jail. And state prison bed costs are, are over twice as much as what our jail beds cost uh, per day. So uh, that's not effective either. But that the, the jail levy coming out, you know, starting to raise some questions on Facebook, you know, things like, you know, how much how much of the jail system does it actually fund? What other funds are used to fund the jail? Um, you know, why is you know isn't it going up 
you know, isn't property tax going up with, you know, the housing markets increasing and, and property values are going so much, you know, isn't that going to start covering some of the, what the jail levy should cover? And I, I can answer some of those questions. And a jail levy does not pay for um, all jail operations. Um, it pays for uh, probably less than half of the jail budget. The, the general fund makes up another big portion. In fact, the general fund and the jail levy are the two largest portions of the jail. And then there's quite a few other funds that come into the jail. Everything from the fact that the U.S. Marshals rent some jail beds from us, the uh, City of Eugene rents some jail beds from us. Uh, we uh, get what we call community corrections funds that are about holding jail beds open to be used as sanction beds for folks that violate their um, parole and probation conditions. To uh, uh, We have uh, specialty courts that need beds that, for sanctions. So there's, there's little pieces of funding that get cobbled together that make up a portion of the jail's funding. But the two biggest pieces are the jail levy and the general fund. And the general fund amount um, is, you know, we originally, when we put the levy together, uh, promised to spend a certain amount of general fund every year, and we have exceeded that amount in every year uh, that, that um, so far with the jail levy. That, that what we originally projected to spend in general fund money, we've actually spent more. In fact, it's been millions more over the last several years. So uh, I think that the jail levy is probably a little bit more um, into the jail than, than the general fund is, but not much, but that they're just about co-equal partners. And the rest of the, you know, there's another probably 20% of the funds that are a mixture of all that other stuff I talked about. So, and then, you know, one of the things about living in Oregon is, um, and particularly for those of you that may have moved here after, say, 1996 or 97, or, you know, so you missed uh, Measure 5, Measures 47 and 50. Um, there are state uh, constitutional amendments uh, that went through uh, initiative petitions and so you know, one of them was put on by the, the legislature a couple came in from citizens but it was the property tax limitation measure five which basically said um, this is the cap on property taxes you know uh, is and there are other measures 47 and 50 which established a, a the fastest your assessed your taxable value of your house can go up is three percent a year so as this market's gone crazy and the actual value of homes has gone up over 10% Lane County over the last 12 months, our ability to tax that value is capped at, at 3%. And actually, historically, the market's beat that 3%. Even with the 2008 downturn, they've recovered back and they've gone above. Most properties in Lane County were you know, they're, they were capped when those measures passed at a certain rate and have only been allowed to grow at 3% a year. So the, the property tax revenue, which is not all of our general fund revenue, it's, it's a good portion of it, only grows at about 4% a year because we get that 3% that's kind of the capped rate of growth. And then any new um, construction that comes in Lane County kind of adds that extra percentage. So um, as, as, as we go along, we might see anywhere, you know, some years, like there were a couple years there where it was actually lower than 3% after the 2008 um, crash in real estate, where we actually saw some, more, some properties actually fall below their, their, their fixed assessed value and their the, the real market value became their taxable value. Um, you know, for a few years, we got maybe 2%. Maybe I think there was one year it was only 1% growth of property tax. But the, the largest I think we've seen has been just a little over 4%. It, the average is somewhere about 35 to 4%. And as, as people probably are pretty aware, the cost of running government seems to always uh, run somewhere in that 3%, you know, uh, inflation rate because we have to deal with, 
you know, most of government's people. And uh, we're dealing with things like health insurance and retirement cost and just uh, the fact that, that the cost of labor is going up. And particularly in a market now where we've got 4% unemployment and we're competing against um, the private sector and everybody else for some of these uh, high demand positions. Um, so we, you kind of, the, the increase in values of housing doesn't quite make up um, for the, you know, it's just about balances what our increase in costs are. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't give us an opportunity to replace the jail levy. It only gives us an opportunity to not have to raise taxes for inflation. And so that's kind of where, you know, that, that balances out that I hope I explained that well, it's kind of a uh, tough concept to go over uh, verbally over the radio, but basically, um, because of those previous tax limitation measures, property tax doesn't grow as fast as the value of homes. It only grows at about three to 4% a year in a good market. So a couple of things we've thrown out there to discuss, but you know, today is a uh, free for all Wednesday. So, you know, if you're listening, you can control the conversation and you can do that just by uh, dialing in at 646 721-9887 here on the Bose Nose Show. And if you want to talk to me, just press one after you dial in and that lets uh, Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the conversation. We'll get you on the show right away because we got nobody in the queue right now. So give us a call and you can just jump right in and control what I talk about or what you want to talk about uh, to my, uh, you know, there are times when we have as many as 300 listeners on the line. So woohoo, you can talk to 300 people here in Lane County, but you know, people ask me why I do this show and I do it because I want folks to call in with their questions because I can't read people's minds and talk about what they have a question about Lane County or just in government in general. Um, or if they've got a problem they need help with, you could call in. And, and you don't have to like identify yourself specifically and you don't have to be totally specific about the problem. We can talk generalities and maybe we can do specifics off the air in, in another place. But if you just want to see if I might be able to help with a problem, give us a call here at 646-721-9887. Cause you know, one of the things I'll, I, I hope to do with this program is eventually um, get it so people are comfortable in calling in you know, and know that I'm available once a week for an hour to call in and you might, you know, somebody else might call and we'll talk about something that, that answers a question of yours that you didn't even really realize you had in some ways. So um, I'm hoping I educate people a little bit in talking about some of the things I talk about, whether it's Salem or the jail levy or, or how property taxes work. Uh, but it'd be a lot easier if you give me a call uh, and we can talk about something you want to talk about. I mean, last week we had a guy call in and we talked about water rights and and building permits and and, you know, what the county can require or not require. So, you know, we can go any direction you want. Uh, uh, I may not be able to answer your question directly on the air. In fact, I, I um told the gentleman I was going to get with staff and, and talk with staff about that. And unfortunately, talking with staff, they're not quite sure some of what he was talking about as far as aquifer tests go. They couldn't uh, find where they re require that for any of the permitting. So probably if he's listening, if he wants to give me a call back and, and um, maybe even give me a, a, a location of, of a house or a permit that actually had that requirement on it, we can go back and look up that specific instance. Um, that'd be great. But, uh, you know, we're really uh, kind of uh, hoping you'll call in and control the conversation a little bit. But, uh, you know, I, Robin's kind of tapping me on the shoulder here and saying she wants to get in on the conversation. So, Robin, what, what's on your mind? There we go. Um, yeah, I just want to say, Jay, I'm kind of excited about a new feature that we have. Yeah. yeah Tell we, us uh, about it. 
we're we're all big time and starting to be uh, uh, kind of syndicated in in a sense. Is that you can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your cell phone with our very own app. Awesome. Yeah, it's available at uh, at player.fm. Just download the app and search for KRBN, and you can listen to. Uh, it goes right now. This the app goes back about one year for all of our shows, and um, listen to them any any time. I don't think it broadcasts live yet, but that's that's probably coming. Well, very cool. And, and yeah, that's something to mention. Anytime folks want to, you know, listen to a pat listen to a past show, um, that's available online. Uh, you know, if you go to the, the KRBN radio, um, blog talk radio, they have every episode there. You know, just click on it. You can listen. And, uh, so hours of listening fun there for folks that want to listen to Lane County stuff. But, you know, there's been shows where we've had the sheriff on, we've had the tax assessor on to talk about those specific issues. In, in their departments, um, had some other guests on, like Craig Opperman from Looking Glass, uh, and uh, we also had the former director of, um, you know, of. Um, oh yeah, the real estate uh, people. Yeah, yeah, we had the the, the uh, lobbyist for the Oregon Realtors was on. Um, a couple weeks ago talking about the bill that would have uh, allowed for local rent control um, in, in the state of Oregon. So, you know, that, that was just a few weeks back. So, you know, if you want to hear that one, uh, just go back a couple weeks and, and you can listen to all about House Bill 2004 with the legislature and uh, somebody from the realtors talking about what it's really going to cause uh, in the way of affordable housing versus what they're trying to fix with the bill. Um, interesting conversation. So, so that's uh, player.fm to right. find the app. For and, I'll, and also kind of throw out there too, you know, we are on Facebook and if you're having trouble finding us, just go facebook.com forward slash KRBN radio. And you'll find, yeah. I know, I know sometimes if you're not, linked up with somebody. Sometimes these searches don't come up very good. So there's a direct address, facebook.com forward slash KRBN radio. Yep. And that's, you know, one of the ways you can get a hold of me if you, you know, are listening to this show uh, recorded later on this week or, or some other time is you can Facebook message me um, through the, through the radio show on the KRBN page. If you uh, Facebook message at KRBN. I'll get that message. Uh, also, you can Facebook message me on my uh, Jay Bozovich West Lane Commissioner page, or you can um, Facebook. You know, if you're you you can message me on my personal Facebook. Um, I'm I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Uh, but one of the things that I hope to do with this show is is also just make it easy for people to listen. Uh, hear a little bit of news about uh, Lane County, maybe a little bit of news about Oregon, and we can even talk about, you know, federal stuff from time to time, like the massive um, tax reforms that are being proposed now at national level. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? What's that mean for us? Uh, probably one of the more interesting things uh, to us here locally might be the uh, judge's decision down there in California to put a stay on the executive order relative to sanctuary um, cities and, and counties and states um, and federal funding, which I kind of would argue that the, the executive order did nothing but say we're going to enforce existing law. And if people ever went and read the actual uh, federal code, um, that is referenced in that law, um, it really only talks about the requirement to communicate with the federal government once you have somebody in custody for a criminal, um, for, you know, for a crime, for an alleged crime. Um, and, and so they have an opportunity to look up that person's uh, immigration status um, or possible, you know, whether they're a citizen or not, whether they're here in the country legally. 
Um, that's the only requirement in federal law. There's no no requirement to go out and help round up people or to supply any other information at all. You're just supposed to communicate that. You don't have to hold people until um, the feds get there um, unless they have a, federal, a warrant from the federal magistrate. Um, uh, that that's uh, so. But the judge's ruling in California kind of says that nothing's going to happen here in Oregon for a while yet because Oregon has a law that's actually been on the books since the 80s um, that makes us a, a, a bit of a sanctuary state. But even our law doesn't quite violate that U.S. code because it it basically says public resources can't be expended in actually enforcing um, immigration laws. It doesn't say that um, it doesn't prohibit the communication between the federal governments and law enforcement agencies once they have somebody under arrest and held in custody. And that, that, that's the only thing the federal code references is that communication. So that national news level was the injunction against the executive order, which the executive order, if you read it, actually only makes reference to the existing U.S. code, which is only if you actually go to that section of code, talks about the requirement to communicate with you know both directions also the federal government to provide that information back to the law enforcement agency um, but there is no requirement to hold people longer than than um, expected um, so you know it's it's an interesting thing that that um, that judge chose to do what he did because I didn't really truly think it was necessary um, to because really what the law does, um, the executive um, order does is basically say we're going we're gonna to enforce the law that's already on the books. But the law that's on the books, the word sanctuary doesn't essentially always mean you won't communicate. You know, there's different levels of sanctuary cities. Um, and um, the status of Oregon's sanctuary status doesn't actually violate that that section of code but it always makes people nervous that Oregon's seen as a sanctuary state and just having that label on us might um, cause us to have some federal funds withhold held or something like that i think it would be a very difficult thing for the administration to do so there's a tie between local here in Lane County, because one of the things that's being talked about being withheld is funds from the Justice Department. And there's grants that we use right here in Lane County uh, from the Justice Department called JAGS, which is the Justice Assistant Grants. Uh, and some of those are actually being utilized for some of our diversion programs, trying to keep people out of, out of prison which some of that money ends up in our DA's office, our courts, and our jail system, um, you know, helping some of that public safety piece and helping, you know, offset some of the need for local funding. So actually, if those, those you know, the, the monies they're specifically talk about withholding are actually monies that we use for our public safety system here in Lane County. So there's the tie from the national news down to the local level. Um, if in fact, you know, the, you know, it was determined that Oregon's, um, you know, 30 year old law uh, violated the sanctuary status of that, 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 that it interfered with that communication that's part of that U.S. code and they chose to withhold funding, what would actually get punished would be our public safety systems because the fundings that come out of the Justice Department generally support courts, prosecution, you know, law enforcement, law enforcement training, uh, you know, those various aspects. And so it's kind of like um, the threat of what's being, the funds being withheld is actually going to hurt our ability to enforce law. So because we're not enforcing, you know, the, the thought is 
we're not enforcing a federal law, so therefore we're going to yank these funds and we're going to make it even harder for you to enforce law. <laughs> kind of seems like a, a little bit of a um, looking at the wrong place. I, 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 don't, I, I don't quite see um, the nexus there uh, as to where, where you're where you're going to the sanction for being a sanctuary city will actually make people more of a sanctuary. Did you follow that? Robin, did you follow that? Uh, I'm getting out my calculator to try and uh, see if I can <laughs> go along with it. But yeah, just think about it. What, what they're talking about withholding from these sanctuary cities and counties and states is Justice Department funding. Uh-huh. Justice Department funding to local governments generally supports prosecution services, court services, law enforcement, training for law enforcement, you know, equipment, those various sorts of things. That's where those those federal grants get utilized. So the the you know, withholding of those funds is a sanction. So the sanctions for being a sanctuary city would actually make you more of a sanctuary because you'd actually hurt the ability to enforce law within that jurisdiction by withholding funds that support law enforcement. So. Yeah, but I think that was the only thing that they could withhold as far as funding goes. Yeah, and and there's even some questions whether you can do that through executive action or not, whether it takes congressional action. So there's, and then there's also some due process questions um, that are that are involved in the whole thing. So it's it'll be interesting if it ever if it ever gets to the point where the administration tries to do just that, where that will ultimately go. Right. I do believe though that this judge down in California jumped the gun, invented a crime, basically said, I looked at what you said in the campaign and what your executive order says isn't really what you're going to do. And because people feel threatened by what you might do because of what you said in the campaign, I'm going to put an injunction against this executive order, which is which is such roundabout legal um, argument. I can't believe this guy's on the bench. You know. Yeah, and that's what so, frustrates me, too, is that this is, what, the second or third time, is that if the people want x and then we have some judge out of nowhere you know some bum county whatnot says i don't like it so i'm going to put an injunction against it and make you guys spend more money to go to court to challenge it it's kind of like i don't know it, it, I, this is the first time i i think i've heard of this happening or and where we where were these guys during the last eight years yeah well it's a matter of um you know there's been times where I know, um, you know, all sides go for injunctions. Right. You know, I, and I've been involved in court actions as a commissioner where we've requested an injunction as part of our action. Um, so that that's a common request in a, in a in a suit is you're suing about something and you want no action to be taken until the suit is resolved. So you request an immediate injunction to stop any action until the legal question is answered. Um, you know, uh, and, and so it's really, um, you know, the, the injunctions happen all the time, um, but injunctions against presidents don't happen all the time. And this is a new tactic being utilized um, to try and um, prevent some of the executive actions. It's, you know, it's surprising. Um, some of the executive orders um, that the um, Obama administration, there's, there were requests for injunctions against some of those, um, particularly some of the monument stuff. Um, in fact, that's one of the injunctions I'm tangentially involved in is the Oregon and California um, railroad lands counties, um, better known as the ONC counties, filed a court action and a request for an injunction against the new expansion of the Siskiyou National Monument because it included some ONC lands, mm. um, which are not, we felt, are not eligible to be declared a monument. Uh, 
so we requested an injunction against that declaration, that expansion of the monument. So, and that was a presidential executive action. So it's not like nobody asked for injunctions against presidents. Now, whether they can get granted them, um, that that's still sitting in the courts. What's interesting, though, is the new administration, through executive action, now is reviewing all the previous um, actions over the last 10 years, I think, or, or even further back, maybe, maybe even back into the 90s, of monument declarations um, made under the Antiquities Act and whether they can actually do that under the Antiquities Act and, and executive action and not having to do it through legislation, legislative action. So there's actually some good news in an executive action, at least for some parts of Oregon where we feel like that Siskiyou Monument uh, expansion went too far and actually took productive timberland and is trying to lock it away from from uh, supporting our economy and our local governments and our schools with uh, timber harvest. So there's another another case where national news intersects with local governments here in, in, in Oregon. Uh, in fact, probably another big piece of national news was the announcement of tariffs against Canadian timber. Uh, and uh, having a little discussion with a friend of mine that still lives on the, you know, that, that's an East Coast person, um, you know, who doesn't quite get it and is criticizing the action of placing this tariff. And I even heard um, some uh, criticism on a national talk show of the tariff saying it all it does is raise the price of housing for Americans um, because the Canadians are stupid enough to spend tax dollars subsidizing their, their lumber industry. And they're, they're only saying that it's going to increase the cost of housing um, because the Canadians only have 30% of our market or whatever. The point is, if it weren't for the dumping of subsidized timber in the U.S., the Canadians would have almost no market in the U.S. And what it has done here in the Northwest is it's caused mills to shut down. You know, that 30% of the market is enough to cause unemployment in rural Oregon and rural Washington state and Northern California as mills shut down and as mills become mothballed, rust out and become impossible to reopen. So if we ever do get market share back, we have no infrastructure to take advantage of that. So, you know, the simple thing is, is this is not just about, you know, putting a tariff against the Canadians and all and, and raising the cost of housing to the rest of America. This is really about protecting that uh, milling infrastructure in the U.S. and that that and, and I, I should call it manufacturing infrastructure because people like manufacturing a whole lot better. Um, because it is a manufactured product. You're taking a raw material and, and adding value to it by turning it into dimensional lumber, sheet goods, and whatever else um, that gets utilized. And in Canada, they've been subsidizing that with Canadian tax money um, and then shipping a, a subsidized product in the U.S. and undercutting our market and causing the closure of U.S. mills putting folks out of work for of family wage jobs, all these folks that are, you know, 15 now folks, um, work in a mill starts, you know, in, in the $20 an hour range nowadays, because it's not, you know, it's not just pulling green chain anymore. It, that most jobs in mills are very technical because they've become very high tech in a lot of ways. Um, you know, there's machinists employed, there's, you know, electricians employed, uh, you know, everything about mills has gotten a lot more high tech. It's, it's, it's good employment that can support a family. And those jobs are going away in the U.S. because Canada has chosen to subsidize and manipulate a market. And the tariffs are a punishment for manipulating that market. And if they want them to go away, stop subsidizing the, the, the the timber and they go away and compete on a level playing field with American timber. You know, there's no, you know, it amazes me that we have got timber rotting on the ground, 
burning up and being killed by bugs in this country. And we're still importing over 30% of our timber from Canada. You know, it, it, it boggles my mind. And the unemployment and poverty rates in rural areas of my district, like Mapleton, where it used to be everybody had good jobs living in Mapleton, working at the Davidson Mills and some of the other mills around that area um, that are now all closed. Um, and they're all, you know, 80% free and reduced lunch is at the Mapleton School District. Over 25% poverty rate in that area. Yet we got 30% of our lumber in this country. And if and and, I, and if you go to the big box uh, lumber stores like Lowe's or uh, you know Home Depot, a few of those places. Take a look and see how much of the lumber in your yard stamped Canada. Um, you know, that, that's, that's, you know, what you're seeing, you know, yeah, it might bring the cost of a house down a little bit, but there's a cost to, you know, America and we're allowing basically the destruction of the infrastructure of our timber industry. And eventually we won't be able to rebuild it. And when the time comes that, you know, Canada decides to stop subsidizing once they've destroyed our infrastructure, we won't have the ability um, to compete and it's going to jack the cost of housing in the future. And they'll be the, the, you know, basically the middle East of the lumber industry. You know? So it's, it's manipulation of a market, no matter what, and it shouldn't be let, let gone by um, whether it adds cost of, to a house a little bit, Yes, it may in the long run or the short run, but it, it, if we don't deal with this issue with Canada, and we have been trying to deal with this since 2006, we've been in talks with the Canadians. And in fact, the action that this administration took was already being progressed towards by the Obama administration beforehand, because I've been you know, in contact and working with timber industry, industry folks that we're working with the last administration towards an eventual tariff if they couldn't get them to stop the subsidies. So, you know, there's another case where national and even international news comes right down here to Lane County because, you know, we're seeing those timber mills close. In Lane County, we've seen them in the past. More recently, we've seen them down in Josephine and Jackson County get closed. Um, and, you know, huge swaths of rural you know, Josephine County uh, have huge unemployment rates. I mean, we talk about 4% unemployment here in Lane County. We're lucky here. And, of course, that 4% is probably 3% in the Eugene Springfield area and, you know, far higher when you get away from Eugene. You know, if you get out to Oak Ridge or over to Mapleton, um, out to Blatchley or somewhere else in the rural, you know, up up uh, towards Vida or whatever, it gets a lot higher the further away from Eugene and Springfield you get. Just as um, it gets even higher if you get down into Douglas County or go a little bit further south into Josephine County. Um, you know, these issues with timber subsidies affect rural Oregon and thereby they affect actually even West Lane County, my district, because we are a timber producing county. And, uh, you know, basically uh, accepting the fact that the Canadians want to subsidize their, you know, you know, I heard one uh, national talk so host saying, well, if they're stupid enough to use their tax money to make it cheaper for Americans to build houses, let them do it. You know, why, why are we worried about that? Well, Obviously, this talk show host doesn't live in Mapleton, Oregon, and and doesn't see the damage that's been done by those subsidies and other issues. I won't say that the Canadian subsidies are the only reason mills are closing out here. Um, we can talk about the Endangered Species Act and Spotted Owls some other time. But this is what's in the news this week. It's the tariffs on Canadian lumber. And I support that decision at this at this point to place those tariffs because at this point the Canadians have basically 
not moved at all. Um, and we need to put some pressure on them to actually come to an agreement and stop their subsidies. So getting close to the end of another Bose Nose show, and just want to remind folks, you know, there's still time to get into the show at 646-721-9887, and it's a free-for-all Wednesday, uh, whatever topic you want to talk about. Don't have to talk about timber. We don't have to talk about uh, sanctuary status. We don't have to talk about the shenanigans in Salem. We can talk about what you want to talk about. It's 646-721-9887. And just press one. Let's us know you want to get in on the conversation here on the Bo's Nose Show uh, on KRBN Internet News Talk Radio. And don't forget, we've got a new app now out that kind of syndicates our show where you can listen to past uh, shows. I think we have 200 shows archived um, now from uh, Bo's Nose Show and uh, Joe Ray Perkins uh, and a few others. And you can get that through um, our player.fm. So if you go in, you know, to your app store and, and search for player.fm, you'll find the app uh, to get the Bose Nose Show. So uh, as we're getting ready to sign off here, um, I, I'll. Well, I was I'll, just going to say that uh, if you have a question for somebody in Lane County that you'd like Jay to maybe look into or a question. For somebody, um, Jay, would you be happy to maybe look into it? Sure. I mean, and that's basically, I, you know, the discussion I had last week. I, I passed that question along to our uh, land management staff that does our planning permits and our building permits to see if I could figure out um, if we ever required an aquifer test as part of a building permit requirement. Um, and staff was kind of uh, stumped about that because they hadn't heard of that requirement. Um, if somebody else called in and wanted me to ask a question to staff or something I didn't know right off the top of my head. In fact, 90% of the questions I get by email and all that, I talk to staff before I reply back because I can't know everything on every subject that Lane County deals with because we have 1,300 subject experts in, in on our staff in Lane County, and I certainly can't know as much as 1,300 people do. And even they probably sometimes have to go and look up in a book somewhere or a rule online to, to give an answer back to me that's educated. So um, don't feel you know bad about calling up and saying, Jay, could you find out about this for me? And I will do that for you because that's part of, part of what I do in constituent services. Uh, and don't think it has to be something about the county because I've quite often um, – you know, people don't know it's a county issue or if it's a state issue or if it's a city issue or if it's a federal issue. So if you ask me, sometimes my question might be so. And I will get a hold of the right people and try and get an answer back to you, whether it's somebody from one of our state legislators offices or if it's somebody from one of our Congress people's offices in the federal government, I'll try and get you an answer so you can uh, solve your problem and move on with your life and uh, enjoy this beautiful country we call the Pacific Northwest and specifically here in Lane County where you can drive from in the course of a day and uh, enjoy some of the most beautiful scenery in the world, whether it's the Oregon coast and the Sea Lion Caves and the Hesita Head to the Cascade Mountains and, and the Old Mackenzie Pass. So I hope you enjoyed today's Bo's Nose Show. I'll be back next week. Um, maybe a repeat show because I'm supposed to be in Salem all day trying to uh, lobby my, my uh, local legislators about the Justice Reinvestment Act might have a show specifically about that the following week because when I spend a day in Salem, it usually gives me much more than an hour's worth of uh, information to talk about. So have a great evening and good night from the Bose Nose Show.
you can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio.